Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. On this week's show, the former world champion cyclist Alison Shanks announces her retirement. Tom Scully returns to the cycling classic after recovering from a horror crash. New Zealand Cricket's Martin Sneddon explains the new structure of the International Cricket Council and we look at the tournament which has propelled Scotland to the next Cricket World Cup. Indian journalist Abhishek Podahit tries to account for his country's loss to the Black Caps in the one-day cricket series and the All-Whites defender Ivan Vasilich calls it quits for a second time. New Zealand's double world champion and Commonwealth Games gold medalist Alison Shanks has announced her retirement from cycling. The 31-year-old from Dunedin, who's battled back from injury and hip surgery over the past two years, has decided the time is right to finish her competitive cycling career. You know, I had the surgery um, back in June last year, and I have battled to get back to my full fitness that I guess I know I'm capable of. And, you know, that's really been the, the crux of the decision. It's like I know that I'm not 100%, and with pursuing, it's either all or nothing, and so... Yeah, I've decided to, to step away. Uh, it, it, obviously, the hip, something major? Yeah, I had a um, labral tear in my hip socket that has been able to be repaired, and that's um, definitely healed really nicely. But I've had a lot of um, sciatic sort of nerve pain as well that is really still niggling, and it's um, pretty tough to keep battling through that on a daily basis. Uh, you were sort of aiming towards Rio, which was a... Uh another two and a half years away, but you just can't put yourself through that. Yeah, I mean, the short-term focus really was the Commonwealth Games this year in Glasgow and defending my uh, individual suit title there. But, you know, I know I'm not going to be in PV form and I'm not 100% and I'm just not prepared to to go and represent, I guess, the the Silver Fern. And when I know I'm not at my best, uh, it's I can't do it that way um, and I guess it's the way Craig and I have always worked it's all or nothing and I've yeah, made the decision to actually step away from the sport I know a lot of sports people go through this and it seems a bit of a cliche sort of question but uh, you know was it that difficult to in the end make the decision? Um, yes it was difficult um, because you know you can keep battling away and you can keep turning up to races but I think that yeah deep down I it's just not the way I do things and so that was what it came back to it's like actually I can't give 100% and um, it's not going to result in medal winning performances and so in that way it became an easy decision when you actually looked at the big picture. And is it made obviously the last couple of years a bit frustrating? Um, I, I suppose, you know, London, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, with the individual pursuit being taken out of the Olympics, that was, I guess, the the biggest disappointment really of my career, and it's something that I couldn't control. And 
Um, the London Olympics was such an amazing experience, and I think we put together a fantastic team in that uh, women's team pursuit. But you know, it, it wasn't good enough for a medal, and that was disappointing. That I will step away without that elusive uh, Olympic medal. But um, you know, it's been an awesome journey, and I think there's still plenty more in the New Zealand track program to come, and especially with the new Avantidrome opening up here in Cambridge and the home of cycling is going to be uh, an exciting new era for um, for Bike New Zealand. So that would be the one disappointment perhaps from your career as an Olympic medal? Oh, for sure. You know, everybody chases that Olympic medal and, um, yeah, to, I guess, back in Beijing, um, finishing fourth as a pretty naive athlete um, and pretty green. Um, I look back on the career and, yeah, that, that has been the biggest disappointment, but I think I have to take heart in the, the two world titles and also that Commonwealth Games gold and, you know, I'd be satisfied with, with what I have achieved. Uh, so are you looking to continue in the sport somehow? Oh, I don't think I can be at home sitting on the couch, that's for sure, and I'll, I'll still be out riding my bike. And I think that's the beauty of cycling. There's so many different um, disciplines and aspects of it and it can appeal to a whole range of abilities. So while I won't be, um, you know, rocketing around the, uh, the velodrome on my Avanti, um, I'll definitely still be out on the road, you know, enjoying the sunshine and um, the Waikato Road. That was Alison Shanks talking to Barry Guy. A year ago, New Zealand cyclist Tom Scully could barely ride a bike after a horrendous crash in Ireland. Hitting a lamppost at almost 60 kilometres an hour, Scully ripped his hamstring from the bone and tore the ligaments in his right knee. After lengthy rehab, the 23-year-old is back in the New Zealand track team and recently won the two-man Madison alongside Paddy Bevan at the Track World Cup in Mexico. Scully's also a professional road racer, has come back continuing at this week's New Zealand Cycle Classic before he heads to Australia for the Tour of Victoria with a New Zealand road team. Joe Porter caught up with the Invercargill rider who remembers that bone-jarring crash like it was yesterday. We're doing this tour in Ireland, um, the rest, and going through, you know, like a charging board a gate and uh, stage three going up for one of the finishes and just crosswheels with another guy and then end up stacking it and uh, collecting the lamppost, which sort of made me stop pretty quick. So it's not something that doesn't you never want to happen, but it always could happen. You went head first into the lamppost at about 60k or something? Yeah, probably around 55, 50, um, not actually 100% sure, but he yeah, just got on the outside of someone and then he tried to go right around the outside of someone in front of him and then they forced me wide and there was no barriers on the side of the road and um, started sliding sideways and then, yeah, the legs collected the post and, uh, on my right side and um, the bottom half of my leg went around one side and everything else went around the other side. So, yeah, it stopped pretty quick and... I sort of remember lying there that you just that was that was one that I wasn't just going to get up and dust off the elbows and knees. And so, what in- injuries did you end up with? Tore the hamstring attachment off the bone, partially tore the ACL and PCL ligaments in the knee. So three of them, four or so. So I think what they call a knee dislocation. So I uh, didn't actually break the bone, but it was just a matter of getting a few operations to get everything sewn back together and, uh, and back intact, and then uh, yeah, get things moving again. When you learnt the extent of your injuries and just how long it was going to take you to recover and what you'd need to go through to get there, did you ever think that you would give the sport away? Or did you never entertain those thoughts? You were always going to come back. Oh, no, I never really thought about it like that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what to think at the time. It was just okay. Yeah, I had a crash, done something to my knee. How do we go about fixing this? 
well, I, I just assumed that it was totally fixable, which it has been. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have a doubt that I was going to not be riding again or not do other things again. So, um, yeah, just got on with it, really. And so when you first got back on the bike, fully recovered, how did you sort of feel? Were there any nerves in that first race, you know, obviously considering how you'd finished at the last one? It was May when it happened, so um, it took me a while to rebuild over the winter back when I got finally back to New Zealand and slowly started building up for a few rides and um, I ended up riding the Tour of Southland with my first sort of major race back. And uh, yeah, it was, as a bike rider, you know that the, the, the crash is always an option but you never want it to happen, so it did take the um, did take a little bit of nerve off, but once I got the tour under the belt and then actually crashed a few more times um, in smaller other races, and uh, your confidence is right back there. It doesn't take long to come back at all. Yeah, it's just a part of the sport, really. And obviously you still have the passion for racing. You still love getting out there. Oh, for sure, yeah, the racing, that's, that's why I do it. I love it. It's, it's hard to explain, but <laughs> we're talking about some friends, and... Uh, as to why you do it, you just don't know. You just do it. So it's just something that I enjoy doing, love doing, and uh, yeah, I'll keep going. Competing at the Olympics as part of a New Zealand track cycling team, or competing and riding in the Tour de France as part of a professional road riding team, which would be the bigger prize for you? Which would be the bigger? Uh, it's a hard one to answer. It's, it's always a good thing to be representing your country, but Tour de France, is a, you know, as everyone knows, is probably one of the biggest races in the world. So. I mean, I'm sure it's every um, young endurance bike riders have dreamed about riding the Tour de France one day, but then the Olympics is a pretty big tick for not only cyclists, but all young athletes growing up in New Zealand. So I couldn't say, couldn't say one or the other. And they talk about the old cliche, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Do you feel that that has been the case with your injury? You've come back stronger than you were before? Yeah, I think um, what I learned from it is that... Uh, as a bike rider, you do crash, and no one ever expects to have a big crash. Um, and then all of a sudden, it happened to me, so I was like, okay. Yeah, I guess I could have seen something like this coming, so it's just a matter of how do I deal with it, how do I get to where I was and where I want to go. So going through that process, you learn you learn a lot about yourself and how you would deal with that in the future. And who knows, it could happen tomorrow again. I hope that it doesn't, but I think now that I've got that experience of going through it, it's... Um, it's going to be something that I can keep up my sleeve for later on in my career. Just Can you just tell me a little bit about what it's like being a young professional rider who's trying to make his mark and climb his way up the ladder, so to speak? It can't be easy to, to maintain that level of commitment when you've got all those factors included, like money, trying to make a living, as well as never knowing what comes around that next bend. Yeah, it's, it's, that's part of the fun and enjoyment of it. I guess the roller coaster you ride is just being handed the next boarding pass and then... Uh, you're off to here to do this, and then a week later you could be going somewhere else, and it's easy to get like stressed out about not knowing where the, the next paycheck's coming from or whatever. But it takes a while to clear through clear through that phase until you, like myself, uh, got myself set up with a road team that's, that is willing to pay me, and takes a lot of the pressure off. And yeah, there's good times and bad times, but you get pretty good at packing a suitcase, that's for sure. That was cyclist Tom Scully talking to Joe Porter. Cricket's governing body, the International Cricket Council, has announced significant changes to its structure, which many fear could disadvantage the sport's smaller nations. The ICC met in Dubai this week to discuss the new governance plan, which hands more control to England, Australia and India. It's aroused fears of a multi-million dollar reduction in revenue for Cricket New Zealand and fewer matches for the Black Caps with the sport's strongest teams. New Zealand Cricket's representative at the Dubai meeting, Martin Sneddon, spoke to Morning Report's Simon Mercer. 
what's the position here? Have we got to the point where New Zealand cricket is going to lose uh, significant amounts of revenue and is it going to be playing the other big nations less than before? Uh, quite the opposite of both of those. We've finished the meeting today and it's the, the end result of three days of pretty intense negotiation. Um, the 10 test playing countries and the representatives of the smaller countries have agreed on a set of principles that um, will apply going forward. There's some detail still to be negotiated and that's going to take a little bit of time from now, but I'm confident enough now with where we've reached at the end of today to say a couple of things. Firstly, the Black Caps will have a comprehensive home and away test playing, ODI playing schedule through to about 2023, which is going to see us playing regularly against all of the test playing countries. We've got um, strong commitments from Australia, from India, from England in terms of uh, the home and away commitments we're going to have with them during that time. Um, we're building up the program around that. Um, we're probably going to end up with a program that is very, very similar, even the same as what's already contained in the, the FTP playing schedule. So on the field, I think we're getting close to getting a, a really, really good result out of this. Off the field, we're reaching agreement on a financial model. There's, there's still a bit of work to be done here, but it's going to see our revenues from the ICC events increase from uh, the $52 million that we got out of the last eight years to, depending on what the value of the rights are sold for, somewhere between say, 70 and 100 million US over the next eight years. Okay, and, but, but the, the, state, the, state, the statement of principles that you d talked about, it does say that India in particular will take a central role in, in the leadership of the ICC. It sets up an executive committee where India, Australia and England are permanent members of that. So have they got some, of, at least, of what they want? Uh, I think one of the major problems ICC has had in recent years is that uh, India has been outside of the camp rather than inside it, and, and part of what's been happening at the moment has been a deliberate process led by Australia and England to actually draw India back into this. What's been agreed today is that for the next two years, the leadership of ICC will come from India, Australia and England at the end of that two-year period, which is a critical two-year period because um, we've got to get ready for and then sell some pretty valuable commercial rights and, and those three countries, more than anyone else in, in the credit world, uh, have experience of how best to do that. At the end of that two-year period, the leadership of ICC is simply decided by all 10 members on an even vote. So what's been agreed now is significantly different in a governance sense than what was put on the table uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. Those three countries have received the feedback from the others have listened, have adjusted, and um, we've ended up with a, a much better end result now. Um, it's going to leave cricket in a much stronger position than I think it's been in, in recent years. That was New Zealand cricket's Martin Sneddon talking to Simon Mersip. The Black Caps go into the fifth and final one-day cricket international against India on the verge of keeping the reigning world champions winless in the series. A 4-0 series win beckons with Game 3 having been tied. India arrived here ranked number one in the world, but the losses to New Zealand have seen them drop to second behind Australia. New Zealand, on the other hand, have risen from eighth to seventh. Journalist Abhishek Potterhead writes for the cricket website Crickinfo and is covering the tour. He told Stephen Hewson the series should be a wake-up call for India with the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia just a year away. I'm massively surprised and who would have thought uh, they would have lost their number one ranking. 
they are still world champions though we are coming to the end of that four year cycle but i think actually this this throws up major questions for their world cup preparation the, the talk from the indian camp is that they're still very positive yeah. is that a bit of a smoke screen do you think given the way this series has gone um i don't think they have any other choice but to be positive it's always a motivation to avoid 4-0 it could have easily been 5-0 but for that one freak partnership between your two spinners actually so, so that has to be motivation they are they after all have a lot of pride at stake they are the world champions still this tour how tough was it going to be from an indian perspective do you think they've underrated the black caps i think they are massively underrated especially as a one day unit but but i think part of the reason for that is they blow up winning positions as they did that against west indies i i think they should have taken that series quite easily but but they managed to draw it in the end so and i think what something that india can't give an excuse for is the conditions because the conditions were really alien in south africa but but they've been quite benign in new zealand i think and actually hamilton was one surface where they should have won in the first ball of spin that spun and bounced that doesn't happen in india anymore for one day pitches so, so i was surprised they couldn't close that out what about their reaction back home in india what what has been the the thoughts of the cricket public in the wake of this series i think nobody was expecting them to even lose the series to new zealand forget 4-0 5-0 3-0 so so this is i think this has come as a big shock back home um, i guess most of it is you know it, it's just i think the saving grace is that this is so far away from home so but let's see the reaction after we reach home because indian cricket fans are very vocal about what they what they think yeah no no calls for dhoni to go for changes what's because as i said the indian cricket fans they they like they make the feelings known don't they ah they do but but i guess they dhoni has built up such a massive body of work over the past several years that that even even fickle fans realize his worth to the side and, and how many roles does he fulfill i mean he's captain he's wicketkeeper and he, he's a senior statesman of the world game now actually so i don't think a, a series or two should lead to such drastic calls for him to go but as i said as far as the world cup is concerned this throws up major questions and uh, some of those are going to be around the, the pace bowling aren't they oh yes but but actually i think pace bowling is at least you can say it is the usual concern for india because we've never really had quality pace bowlers who can consistently take wickets but i think a bigger problem has to be the batting because the batting is something that wins matches for india it, it always has and and that is that is something that hasn't clicked it, it's very rare for an indian batting lineup to fail to close out close games in a row so that is something that should be worrying and the conditions obviously 12 months out from the world cup this is where new zealand australia this is where the, the tournament's going to be hosted so how do you think the indian cricket folk are going to try and turn this around i think one positive you can say is that they'll at least know that they've played in these conditions before and failed so for most of these guys this was the first trip to new zealand and then someone like virat kohli of course he's an outlier but he scored a century in his first innings in new zealand so yeah i think this a positive way of looking at this is that this is a big wake up call before the world cup and in conditions where the world cup will be played that was journalist avi shek put a heat talking to steven hewson Scotland and United Arab Emirates will join the giants of world cricket at next year's World Cup after topping the pool of countries vying for a place in the competition.
The World Cup will be played in New Zealand and Australia in just over a year. Teams from 10 countries have been playing in New Zealand this summer, with the top two joining the other 12 already confirmed for the event. Gemma Brackybush went to one of the last qualifying games played this week in Christchurch. This was the final chance for minor league countries to make it to the world stage. Canada, Nepal, Uganda and the Netherlands were the first to drop off, leaving Kenya, Papua New Guinea, Scotland, Namibia, United Arab Emirates and Hong Kong battling for the last two Cricket World Cup spots. The Cricket World Cup qualifier tournament manager Chris Lander says turnout for the qualifying matches was higher than expected. The Ugandans had some pretty good support in Tauranga and the, the Nepalese had very good support wherever they went and uh, various other crowds of uh, various other teams have had really good crowd support. The numbers haven't been excessively high but you know we've been in the hundreds rather than the, the tens. The Scotland captain Preston Momsen says many players have never been to New Zealand and the support here for the tournament has been surprising. Obviously it's it's not a major tournament, you know, in, in their eyes, but for us it's huge, and we have had good support, and they've they've been a decent decent sized crowds um, up in Queenstown. We had a few close finishes, and and you know the, the crowd got really involved. Former England cricketer Paul Collingwood is the coach of the Scotland side. He says he's extremely impressed with the talent he's seen. The skill level at uh, associates um, level is is huge, and I've been very surprised on certainly the the batsmen in the field and skill level has is, is been magnificent. The United Arab Emirates captain Horam Khan is top of the table for overall runs and has been named man of the match three times. He says many of his players come from abroad to live and play in Dubai. It's mainly Indian Pakistani, you know, Sri Lankans, lots of us are living there. So that's very, very popular amongst us. Many players in the tournament do not play professionally and have full-time jobs. The Namibian opening bowler Christy Filyoon says this often provides entertaining training stories. We've uh, got a few guys that are farmers for a living and they're like cattle herders and um, sheep farmers and so they are quite hard and tough. We, are, we all love it because we talk about uh, all farm stories and they tell us like what snakes went into the garden in the day. And Scotland's coach Paul Collingwood jokes that his team adds their own national flavour to the game. Yeah we wear our kilts um, when we put our pads and and box on and no we don't really. It's, quite, it's exactly the same, don't worry. Organisers say they hope for more spectators like Richard Wells who travelled all the way from England for the tournament. The self-described cricket fanatic says he wanted to see New Zealand but probably wouldn't have come if it wasn't for the cricket. I've seen every game every day, yes. I like smaller uh, crowds if you know what I mean. Um, I wouldn't actually come to the Cricket World Cup because it would be too busy for me. The Cricket World Cup qualifier tournament manager Chris Lander says it's been a great experience for both fans and the teams. The flavour of this thing has been interesting in that we've had 10 countries that many people in New Zealand probably didn't even realise played cricket. It's fantastic that you know we've been able to give them a really good showing of what they might be able to expect in, in 12 months' time. New Zealand and Australia will co-host the 2015 World Cup with the opening game played in Christchurch between New Zealand and Sri Lanka on Valentine's Day next year. Gemma Brackybush reporting. The most capped all-white ever defender Ivan Vasilic is retiring from international football for a second time. Vasilic, who's 37, has played 88 internationals for New Zealand, having made his debut in a 7-0 loss to Uruguay in 1995. 
He retired from international football in 2008, but All Whites coach Ricky Herbert urged him to return in 2009. Vissalich told Stephen Hewson why he thought it was the right time to call it quits. All about timing in regards to age and just where I am in football, you know. Um, it's not a, a huge surprise, but just chosen the time now to come out and announce my retirement. I mean, we've uh, just missed out, obviously, with qualifying for the World Cup in Brazil back in November, and I've been thinking about it since then with the wife. So just thought, uh, you know, now was the right time, and it's going to be a bit of a break now in the white schedule as well. So we're still midway through the season with Auckland City and uh, still playing football there. And obviously we've got a couple of dreams there to... Uh, to win the local ASB Premiership and uh, Oceania Premier League, so uh, I'll still continue to play there. When, when you look back on it, do you see it as sort of one continuous All Whites career, or do you certainly see it in, in two parts? Uh, I certainly see it just as one continuous All Whites career. I mean, uh, retirement taking place about five years ago. I'd returned to New Zealand. I'd uh, just started a family from you know returning from Europe and that and. And the decision there was along the lines of, you know, uh, dropping down a level from where I'm playing in, in Europe, and, and with all respect to that, let's uh, let's step aside. And uh, but after coming back from retirement and, and and knowing that I can actually keep up to that international level and that standard, you know, well then obviously the the rest of history and the dream continued to the World Cup. So um, it's definitely now the final uh, chapter uh, at 37. Undoubtedly, that Bahrain and. Subsequently, South Africa must rate as as the highlight internationally. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, to have played in uh, 2019 Bahrain in front of a full stadium in New Zealand of absolutely fanatical fans was an absolute highlight. And uh, you know, I think it's very rare for any sport to have a crowd like that going absolutely crazy. And to qualify for the World Cup was a dream come true. A lot of young players when they're uh, when they're kids and that they think it's quite easy to play the World Cup, but you learn as you get older how hard it is and it's definitely a, a highlight of the career. How disappointing was it then not to be able to repeat it? Yeah, very disappointing. I mean, uh, I tried, I think, three or four times before then also to make the World Cup. And uh, this time around against Mexico, you know, I think a little bit of reality set uh, in with that game. I mean, we're playing against a nation that's absolutely world-class. And, and we did our best and we had our best available. But, you know, unfortunately, when you come against teams like that, it gets to a point where, uh, you know, Possibly you're just not good enough. I suppose that also marks a bit of a, a turning point, doesn't it? Or, or a new phase, anyway, for, for the All Whites, with a few of those younger guys getting getting a chance over that, or in the second game, anyway. Yourself gone, Ryan Nelson, obviously a year or two back, having having gone. There, there's a new phase coming, do you feel? Yeah, I think so. There's obviously a refreshment in, in NZF as well. I mean, there's going to be a new CEO in place there, there's going to be a new coach, so... I think it's a great time and an exciting time. I mean, there's some young players coming through that have a lot of potential. Uh, I think we're seeing the rewards of a few of the uh, football schools that have gone up around the country over the time, and, and these players are coming through with, you know, with top-class technique, and we've seen, uh, you know, players move from the ASB Premiership to the Phoenix lately. We've seen players from the ASB Premiership go to your whites and continue their career, you know. So I think the future is bright for New Zealand. It's always going to be difficult to qualify for the World Cup, but... We always need to have that dream. A replacement, too, for, for Ricky Herbert obviously needs to be made. What would be the message that you would give to any new coach? Yeah, it's a fresh start. I mean, every new coach that comes in needs to uh, implement their um, their ideas and uh, communicate with their players and and put together a good plan and program for the up-and-coming uh, qualification processes. I mean, we've got uh, two tournaments that we want to be part of, and one of those is the Confederation Cup. 
we didn't qualify for that in one of the in World Cup. So you know, there's a lot of planning that needs to be done with NZF, and uh, you know already they're explaining with uh, the federation and the, and the players' union, getting together and getting feedback from the players, and and hoping for the next cycle to be you know fine-tuned and hopefully even better. What what sort of feedback have you given on that last campaign? Well, we're in the process of that, uh, having those meetings, and uh, a lot of the uh, disappointment was because of the quality opposition that we played. You know, we uh, we were in the game there for a little bit in that first game against Mitsai for half an hour, but we were really coming up against the wall, and, uh, and to play teams like that we've played uh, in the past, it's been very difficult. But what's really bright for uh, New Zealand is that we, we get some very good results, and that puts our um, expectations higher. You know, to go unbeaten at the World Cup, you know, is, is something very special. And, and it's good. It grows the expectation of the players and also the, the country in a whole. Disappointing, I suppose, that Ricky Herbert's tenure came to an end in the manner that it did? Yeah, I mean, disappointing for the country. I mean, uh, as I said, the expectations were very high to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, it was also my last game against Mexico in Mexico. And, uh, you know, that's just life and that's how it turns over. And, and Ricky had some absolutely outstanding moments in his career and, uh, and disappointing moments as well. But it's something that, that we all have to live with and, and move on with. He made the comment after that Mexico game, the last one, that he, he didn't felt that he had possibly got the recognition he deserved for, for what he achieved. It's obviously his opinion, and, and that's it. I, mean, I know uh, I don't read every article in the paper, so it's very hard for me to understand what's going on with, in that sort of comment, you know. He definitely did, had, had a, led the team to the World Cup and had some great times. And, uh, spent a lot of time, obviously, under Ricky and, and enjoyed it and enjoyed making those relationships with him and, and, and the players and the staff and it's something that's going to last forever, and those memories of you know 2010, especially, are just I mean, up there in sport in general in New Zealand. So uh, we've definitely had some good times. That was the most capped all-white Ivan Vasilich talking to Stephen Hewson. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.